preserved his word for us. And they say, what kind of evangelists they have? We have Bible-believing, Bible-preaching evangelists. And Brother Don Williams is a Bible-preaching evangelist, preaches right from the word of God. And God has used him for many years now here in the fall revival and stirred our hearts. And, uh, and uh, we appreciate him so much. I'm curious, Doc, which drawing is the favorite of the crowd? So maybe we can find that out. Let's get our Bibles out while he comes. And uh, what's that? Okay. Turn faster. All right. Well, we have a good crowd tonight. I thank the Lord. I appreciate you folks. I appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, a lot of people would have uh, used the, and perhaps did use the, the uh, threat of a few snowflakes to, you know, to stay home. And uh, but I'm glad that you made it out. A little snow doesn't hurt anything, does it? Uh, not up here in the mountains. Amen. So I remember one year it did, though. <laughs> one year we had a, about a, what was it, 30 or some inch snowfall, 36 inch snowfall. And that, that slowed us up. That one slowed us up. All right. Well, we got four or five chalk drawings done now. And uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different tonight. And so um, we did this one. Uh, I'd like to find out, as the pastor would like to know also, is uh, which is the favorite for the week so far. And uh, so let's just vote on them in the order that we painted them. And then we start up here at the uh, church there by the brook. How many like that one? The best for the week. Let me see. You can only vote once now. Don't know that two-handed stuff. All right. Now, uh, and then we, uh, wait a minute, do that again. I didn't get a count. Okay, 15. And... You don't think I can count that fast, huh? You all saw me when I was young. Then uh, we did the cross on the, on the Monday night. How many like that one the best? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got about uh, ten. And then uh, how many like the grizzly bear? <laughs> Somebody's voting twice. <laughs> now, I know. There's too many for the grizzly bear. How many liked the one we did last night? Let me see your hands. Yeah, we'll throw that in the trash. <laughs> How many like this one the best? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got it. We'll throw that in the way too. We got a couple of them like that. That's all right. Well, we, we're not done yet. All right. Anyway, it looks like the uh, uh, what was it? the church and the grizzly bear, wasn't it? That satisfy you there? Which one do you like the best? Cross. Cross. Okay. He has to say that to be spiritual. Yeah. He's afraid to say, well, he's not very spiritual. He didn't choose the cross. Okay. All right. Uh, Take your Bible, and uh, we're going to just read a verse of Scripture there in in the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. We're going to read, let's see, Job, chapter 1. We're going to read the last two verses of chapter 1. Job chapter 1, in verse 21, the Word of God says, and and, I guess we're going to have to read verse 20 in order to get the... uh, It says, Then Job arose, and he rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Now, this is right after, you understand, and most of you would, but uh, there might be somebody... We're breaking here in the, the end of the story. Because the story is that his whole family has been been killed, except for his wife has been killed in a, like a, a tornado. 
he's lost all his camels and all the, you know he's lost everything and uh health and 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 just about everything is going to go before it's all over with and so it says and job arose after hearing that his family had been killed and he rent his mantle and he shaved his head and he fell down upon the ground and he worshiped and said naked came i out of my mother's womb and naked shall i return thither the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you to uh, yield ourselves uh, to your will, to your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us as we preach this message. Bless the chalk drawings. We show it in a little bit. And... I trust that out of it all that uh, you'll get honor and glory for it. I pray for that one who may be here tonight, that, or two or three or however many that may be here that have never truly been born again. They have perhaps have uh, some form of religion. But Lord, uh, I pray that you'd help them to understand that religion is not what's going to save them, but, but it's a person. Salvation is a person and not a religion. So I pray that you would uh, speak to hearts tonight. May the Spirit of God have uh, full control of this service, and may you get the honor for what's accomplished in Christ's name. Amen and amen. I just use that as a kickoff verse because there's one thing that's obvious. If anybody was going to quit, it would be this, this guy here, Job. After going through everything that he'd gone through, uh, I mean, let's face it, uh, he'd be one of those who would th- throw in the towel. I'm afraid our 21st century Christians today, uh, many of them are so weak and uh, spiritually that anything that uh, bad happens, well, the next thing you know, why they stop going to church and they quit tithing, they quit uh, serving God, and they just uh, go home and pout, I guess, for the rest of their life. But uh, Job was not that way. He wasn't a quitter. In spite of everything that took place and the fact that he had friends that came and, and uh, basically told him, well, why don't you just get right with God so that, you know, uh, and his wife telling him, he says, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, I mean, all that put together, you'd have thought, you know, here's a guy. Boy, but he had tenacity. He was not a quitter. And that's what I want to, I want to talk some about, about this thing of, of quitting tonight. The Bible uh, only has the word quit in it just a few times. And, and where it's used in the Bible is like uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, where it talks about uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And he's, he's, he said now, he said, I want you to quit you like men. Quit you like men. Well, that sounds, you know, we don't talk that way today. But, it, but what he's just simply saying is grow up. Act like a man. Men don't quit, so quit ye like men. See, that's, that's the, the connotation of that verse. So it means the same thing, just the way it was worded in the Scripture. And quitting is just something you, you hardly find in the Scriptures among the, the people of God, and yet there were some, you know. Here was King David, and, and uh, when he finally took the throne uh, of Israel, uh, he built a kingdom that was second to none. I mean, he, he did a good job in building it up, preparing. He wanted to build a temple for God, but uh, God wouldn't let him because he was a bloody man. He had uh, committed murder, adultery, and other things. But he, one thing about David, he, he really he never quit. You know, he, he faltered 
hey, we have to we have to say he faltered, but he never quit. And he did get everything ready for his son. He gave it to his son Solomon. And then Solomon inherited a, a kingdom that was second to none anywhere. There wasn't anybody any richer than him. Uh, he sought after all kinds of things and, and uh, uh, widened his intelligence or widened his knowledge in every field of science and history and, and biology and everything. He was a very intelligent man. God gave him that wisdom, and so he utilized that. But unfortunately, we read in, uh, in the scriptures, let me see if I've, I've got it uh, Unfortunately, we read uh, this verse in the scriptures. Now, we're talking about, about Solomon. But, uh, but, but King Solomon loved many strange women. And there you go. The problem was that he, 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 was, uh, he was a guy that was uh, a slave to his lusts. So here was a guy, and, and you know, he just he quit. That's what he did. He quit serving God and quit living for God. So there are some that uh, have quit, but there's a whole lot more that didn't. Uh, we look at Enoch and uh, Noah and Joseph and Elijah and Elisha and Moses and David and Ruth and Esther and Peter. And, you know, if you go on down, there's a, there's a lot of them that didn't quit. Now, I didn't say that they didn't sin because some of them did. We've already mentioned uh, David and uh, we know Noah did, you know. Uh, we, uh, we, we think of uh, Elijah, you know, as he runs from Jezebel. I mean, he had had a slip there. So it's not the, the matter of uh, not sinning because, and of course that's our desire, that we serve God without, uh, without yielding to the flesh, you know, and committing sin and offending God. But the truth of the matter is it, it happens. It happens in, in our lives. And that's why he gave us First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God, God does not uh, put us or, how can I say it, he, he does not want us to be quitters. One of the things that i found in, in uh, dealing with people through the years is a lot of times unsaved people have the attitude that, well, I'd get saved, but I can't live it. Did you ever hear that? Huh? Did you ever hear that? I, I, yeah, but I, I couldn't live it, so I'm not going to get saved. No sense of being a hypocrite. And that's, that's usually the way they, they excuse themselves out of the, the uh, getting saved. But I've got some things that I want to, to bring to this individual that may be thinking that, perhaps in an auditorium tonight. And you've, uh, you've never trusted Christ, and yet uh, somewhere down the line, and maybe you've thought that. Well, if I got saved, though, there's some things that I know that uh, I'm involved with, and, and I, I probably I couldn't live it, so I'm just gonna I'm not gonna start because I'd be a quitter. I'd get halfway through it, and I'd just be a quitter. I've heard that so many times, so many times. But you see, there's some things that takes place that helps you. If you're not if you're not saved here tonight, I want you to understand the first thing that God does is is He changes your wonder. See. He changes your wanter. See, I want to I, I, I wanna go deer hunting next week. And I'm going to go deer hunting next week, Lord willing. I get at least another day in. But uh, this week I didn't deer hunt. Now, you know why? I, want, I would like to go on deer. I would like to got a deer, put it like that. But I didn't get a deer last week, you know, when I was up here hunting. Now, this week I didn't, I didn't hunt. 
I could have. I could have snuck out in early in the morning and maybe in the afternoon. And this is, of course, the rut season, so you probably can go out in the middle of the day and have a good chance of seeing a deer. But I didn't do it, even though I wanted to in one way. But there was something inside of me that said, uh, uh, I don't want you to do that. You know, and it changed my wanter, and I didn't want to deer hunt. If I'd have really wanted, I'd have went, but I didn't want to because it was something more important. See, God changes some things. Now, the way he does that is, is that whenever a person trusts Christ, receives Christ, uh, at, at the, right before he gets saved, he only has this old nature, this old sin nature that constantly wants to uh, uh, be affected by the flesh. The flesh likes to do what it wants to do. That's just the nam- uh, natural uh, Adamic nature. He wants to do what he wants to do. So what God has to do, he has to make a change there. And what he does is, is he implants or he, uh, uh, he takes over your body with the Holy Spirit. What, know you not, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of which he seals you to the day of redemption? So what God does when he saves an individual, when you receive Christ, when you repent of your sin, you say, God, I'm, I'm sick and tired of my sin. I realize that my sin has, has uh, it separates between uh, you and me, and I can't communicate with you, and I know that my life is going down the tubes, and I know that, that this is not pleasing you, and it's destroying me, and I can see it, and God, I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I ask you to come into my heart and save me. When you do that, there's a miracle takes place. That is, if you don't just say the words. See, some people just say the words, and they think that that's some miracle in the words. It's not. The miracles in the grace of God that, that listens to the words and then, and, and then goes deeper than the words into your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So he looks into the heart and he says, those words came from a sincere heart. Therefore, and bang, all at once the Holy Spirit comes into your body. At that very instant you trusted Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you. I don't understand that. And it's not evident as far as seeing some glow or something on your body. It's not like that at all. Matter of fact, Jesus talks about it there in, in John chapter 3 when he tells, talks to Nicodemus and he says, you can see the, the movement of the leaves when the wind is blowing, but you can't see the wind. You can see the evidence of the wind blowing or the breeze, but you cannot see the breeze itself. Well, that's the way it is with the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live within, and you can't see the Spirit physically, but you can see the evidence of the Spirit in the things that takes place in your life, the changes that take place. So you as an unsaved individual, uh, hey, let God worry about the rest of it. See, that's the wonderful thing, is once you place yourself in the hands of God, then you're God's responsibility. Now it's up to Him. See, He's the one that's going to keep you safe. He's the one that has sealed you to the day of redemption. He is the one that has saved you, and it's His salvation. It's not your salvation. It's His. So, now the Holy Spirit lives within your bosom. Now, what is the Holy Spirit there for? Is that for you to uh, get up and dance around and speak in some exotic language that nobody can understand? No, that's not what it's there for at all. 
the tongues uh, mentioned in the scriptures is, has to do with language. The people heard the, the message in their own language. Different people from different nations would listen to Peter preach. And when they preached, they preached in, in, in their uh, Hebrew language. Uh, but the, the people were hearing in, in different languages. It was a miracle, see? That was one of God's miracles to get the gospel out. People have taken that, those, uh, that terminology and they have turned it into something that's just not, uh, not scriptural. So the Holy Spirit is, has a purpose, though. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is simply to, to guide you. He's called the Comforter, so he's there to comfort you. He's there to lift up Jesus Christ in your life, to give him the glory, see, uh, he's there to teach you and encourage you. He's one the Bible calls, it's, he's one that is called alongside to help. That's what the word comforter or paraclete means. It means he's called alongside to help. And so whatever your needs are, then the Holy Spirit is there to help you. So unsaved friend, you need not fear getting saved, afraid that you're going to lose it or that you can't handle it or somehow or another you're just going to quit because the Spirit of God is going to be there to encourage you and help you. And I haven't even got to the church and your Christian brothers and sisters that are going to be there praying for you and encouraging you and blessing you and, and not counting the preaching of the Word of God that is going to build you and edify you. You see, unsaved friend, uh, you don't have an excuse. Maybe when you came in the door, that was your excuse, but I just took it all away from you. You don't have it anymore. So now that you don't have an excuse, I'll preach the message now that I was going <laughs> to preach here. You see, the Spirit of God does some things in our life. One of the things He does is, well, I'm certain that there are those that we would call quitters, uh, and they all have at least one thing in common. Their decision to quit services or to quit tithing or to quit teaching or to quit Sunday school or to quit Wednesday night prayer meetings, uh, they may do that. But when they do it, I want you to understand it's not something that just, just happened all one big shot. It doesn't happen like that. It's a gradual thing that always takes place. One of the verses that that I've always, always thought about and I've heard, heard it preached on before, uh, has to do with, uh, with the old landmarks. It says, not, move not the ancient landmarks. I believe it's in what, a Psalm or Proverbs, I'm not sure. And uh, what it was talking about there, back in, in the Bible days, the way they set their uh, boundaries for their land was they built uh, uh, piles of rock. Now, a crook would come in there, and uh, let's just say that uh, this here is a, is a rock, and I think there's another one over here. Here's another rock. We've got another rock there now, and then uh, over here's another rock. People are going to need these after a while maybe, and then they won't be here, but it's all right. It's okay. And, and, but here's, how, here's, how, here's the reason they said that. And this is what some of these uh, bad guys, the crooks, would do. So there's a pile of rocks. 
And what they would, what they would do is, is some sneaky guy, see, his, his land is over here, see. So he wants, to, he wants more land. So what he does is he sneaks over there at night and he takes a rock, maybe a couple of rocks, and he puts it on the other side like that. And then he waits for another week or two and he sneaks back out there and he goes to that pile of rock and he moves some more rocks over here. Well, see, he's already gained that much. And he just keeps moving just a few rocks at a time, just piling on the other side of the pile like that until finally when you take a, you have a mile-long strip of land there and you've moved all those boundaries over, you know, a few yards, you've gained a pretty good portion of, of land. That's, that's what we're talking about. See, people, Christians, we have to be so careful about our landmarks because there's some things that, that if we're not careful, the devil will get in there and, and he'll cause you to move that landmark just a little bit. He'll just cause you to get your convictions or your standards. He'll just move them just a little bit, not a whole lot. We don't want to, we don't want to go from a teetotaler to a drunk in one night. What we do is we start out as a teetotaler and, and then we just have a social drink. And then next thing you know why we're, we drink at home every once in a while. And next thing you know why we're drinking with friends. The next thing you know we're drunk. See, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a process that takes a while to do it. And Christians, listen, we have to be careful about this. Because believers can get into this thing and, and the next thing you know uh, you've uh, you stopped. Uh, uh, well, you, don't, you just throw a few dollars in instead of tithe. And maybe you forget to come out on Wednesday night. And maybe you just miss one Wednesday night out a month. And then it's two Wednesday nights a month. And then it's three. And that's the way it goes. So there's some things that, that we, need to, we need to look at tonight. The reason is because time is running out on us. Now, I know you've, we've heard that all the time. You know, Jesus is coming. And he's coming soon. And I really believe he is coming soon. I don't know when he's coming, but I know that his coming is imminent. That is, it could happen at any moment. There's, a, there's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled, but what Jesus couldn't come. So we just need to, uh, you know, we just need to be careful. And these are the days and these are the things we're going to be looking at tonight. Be careful that you don't find yourself... Uh, well, well, we'll go a different direction on that. The first thing is, uh, what, we, what the Holy Spirit does is, is He awakens our conscience. You see, an unsaved person, when uh, a person that's not saved, they have a conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Now, the problem is that our conscience can be trained. Normally, the conscience is, a, is something that God has placed in an individual that gives you a little bit of moral bearing. That's why a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, They may not be saved, they may not even go to church, but they don't think that they're all that bad. It's because their conscience, they can rely somewhat on their conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. But the problem is that over a period of time, uh, those conscience get seared. Or they get defiled and, and you can't trust your conscience. And so one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Spirit of God awakens your conscience so that you can have a better understanding of what, what the difference is between right and wrong. There's some verses of Scripture that, that uh, will help us to understand it a little bit better. 
Listen to this one here in the book of Acts. Paul, uh, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. The apostle Paul, in other words, his, he lived his life so that he was not convicted. His conscience did not convict him and, and say, you know, uh, you shouldn't have done that. He tried to obey the conscience that was uh, awakened by the Spirit of God. Listen to this verse in Acts 24, verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. This is one of Paul's things. He, he did not want to offend God. And so he wanted his conscience to give him direction so that he did not offend God, nor did he offend man. But then there are those. Titus 1.15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure. But he says, Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving. Now, it's, now he's talking about an unsaved person, see, a person who does not know Christ. He said, calls them defiled and unbelieving. He said, Is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. So the unsaved, the reason the unsaved have a hard time understanding why abortion is wrong is because their, their, their conscience is defiled. It's seared. They can't grasp the truth of it. Their, their mind is darkened. The God of this world has blinded their minds so that they can't understand spiritual things. See? The natural man himself does not understand spiritual things because he is, is the natural man, not spiritual. In Romans chapter 14, it says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Now, the reason I read that one is, is because, do you remember the, 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 uh, the woman that was brought to Jesus? The men uh, caught her in the very act of adultery. And so they, they grabbed her by the wrist and they jerked her up and they brought her before Jesus and threw her down in front of him and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say that we should do to him? He perceived that these men, all they wanted to do was to uh, either uh, find favor. Uh, he, he knew that it, by doing this, they, they could, uh, one, one way or another, would be able to trap Jesus into making a decision that would cause offense to the people, or put them in a place where they believed, uh, where the people would believe the Pharisees. And so, uh, you remember what Jesus did? He knelt down and began to write in the dust. And as he wrote in the dust, nobody knows, it would be interesting to find out one day in heaven though, but all at once, those who, uh, uh, who had a stone in their hand, who thought they might get a chance to stone a person to death because that was, the, that was the penalty for adultery was to be stoned to death. And he said, the law says uh, one caught in adultery is to be stoned to death. What do you say? And so Jesus kneels down and he writes in the dust. Here's a guy standing over there and he looks down there and sees what Jesus just wrote. He just dropped his rockets backstepped, you know, and next thing you know, he disappeared in the crowd. Somebody else looked down at the dust and he found another. Next thing you know, there wasn't anybody there. And Jesus asked her, he said, where, where is uh, your accusers? 
She said, well, there, there isn't any. He said, well, he said, no. He said, I don't condemn you either. He said, uh, go and sin no more. What I'm saying is that the verse that I just read is that we have to be careful that we don't pick up a rock when somebody does slip and fall. See, we have a tendency, and I've heard, I've heard Baptist preachers say this, that Baptists have a tendency to stone their, their own people. You know, whenever they, they fall, uh, falter, uh, fail, or whatever you want to call it, or hurt their testimony, that uh, Baptists have a tendency to, you know, to, you know, everybody jump on them and, you know, and ridicule them and, and uh, instead of encouraging and trying to get them back into fellowship, you know, and bearing one another's burdens while we just uh, cast their rocks. So the reason I read that verse that I did, uh, we have to realize that every man stands or falls as a servant of one master. And that one master says whether or not they're going to be judged, you see. So we've got to be careful that we don't pick up rocks whenever something happens or some, some believer falls. So the first thing is that, uh, that we need to have, that the Spirit of God awakens our, our, our conscience, makes it more sensitive so that we understand the difference between right and wrong. The next thing is that uh, uh, the Spirit of God also empowers us for commitment. But perhaps that's what uh, some of our problems are. The reason that we can't commit ourselves uh, to the work of God is because we've not allowed the Spirit of God to empower us for commitment. You see, when God, uh, uh, when God saves you, He gives you everything that you need to serve God. He gives you the strength. He gives you the talents. He gives you the gifts that's necessary to fulfill the body of Christ and to, and to fill it out so that everything is accomplished that he wants to accomplish. But I want you to know one thing. Love is always at the bottom of commitment. If you love Jesus, then you'll be committed to him. It's just a natural thing. Just like your, you and your spouse. If you love your spouse, you're going to be committed to her. You're not going to be out here uh, messing around with somebody else's wife or somebody else. You're going to be committed to that individual. And so it is with the, in the spiritual realm. Daniel's, we always look at Daniel and, and how strong he was. Here he was thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because of his commitment. But what was the basis of his commitment? The basis of Daniel's commitment and his willingness to die for the cause if that, if that was what, what was going to take place. I mean, I mean when they threw him in the, in the lion's den, he understood this could mean death. And so he was willing to go through that. Now, what was the, what was the basis for it? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't just attending church once or twice a week. Here's what he did every day at a certain time during the day. He went into his room. He closed the door. He opened the windows toward Jerusalem. And there he would, uh, several times a day, would kneel down and pray to his God. In other words, there was a relationship that Daniel had. And it wasn't just a, uh, you're God and I'm, and I'm me. I'm a man and you're God and so there's, you know, there's nothing between. I want you to understand, there was an intimate relationship with Daniel and God. 
God understood him. Daniel loved him. Daniel wanted to, to, to be whatever he wanted to be. He wanted to, uh, and, and so when Daniel, listen, uh, Daniel had a relationship. That's the basis for the commitment that he had being willing to go to the lion's den. How's your relationship with Christ? Is, it, is there an intimacy with, with, with God? Is, there, is, there, is it more than... Is it, if, listen, if it's not any more than just going to church, then you don't have what you're supposed to have. You're missing the most important part of being a Christian. Just having a name is not enough. I mean, I could have married Nan and, and gave her my name... And then never kissed her, never told her I loved her, never, never took her out to dinner, never, you know, you just leave her home and not pay any attention to her. I could have done that. But let, whoa, wait a minute. I love her. Because I love her, I tell her I love her. And then I show her I love her. And I think I'm the better for it. And I believe she's the better for it. You see what I mean? The, our commitment is in a direct relationship to our, our, our love. You know, One of the things that, that uh, God, uh, uh, Jesus had to rebuke the, one of the churches back in uh, the book of Revelation was that uh, you've lost your first love. You've lost it. And it's so easy and it's done just in increments, just one step at a time. So the first thing the Spirit does is uh, he, uh, he indwells us, of course. Then he awakens our, our conscience. And then he empowers our commitment. I've got a verse of Scripture. i just got to read this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, in other words, I, you know, I haven't reached the pinnacle, and I'm not way up here somewhere like maybe you think I am. So I don't count myself as, as have uh, apprehended. But this one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I don't know what those things are. Maybe it's failures that he had. Who knows? Maybe it's successes that he has. Do you know that many times our successes uh, are the instrument that Satan uses to bring us down? Because we get proud when we have great successes and great victories. Isn't that scary? You gotta you know, you gotta keep that humble spirit, that humility before God. But he says, forgetting those things which are behind, and he said, and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press towards the mark. That's commitment. Press, okay, uh, the word press. I could tell you the Greek, but it wouldn't make any difference because we are English. The word press is just press. Uh, I was trying to think of a, a good way to, to illustrate pressing. Look at the football field. And here's a... Here's a 300-pounder in his, his position there. And right across the, the way is another 300-pounder. And these two guys are looking each other in the eye, and all at once, hup, 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 like that, and both of them, 
and there is a, a battle going on. And it's a real battle. These two 300-pound giants are, are pressing. And that's what, he, that's, what, that's what Paul's talking about. It's an aggression. It's aggressive. The pressing he's talking about, I press towards, I, I move towards, I, uh, uh, I am persecuting towards this thing. In other words, it's something, it's a positive moving, and it's aggressive. He doesn't say, well, I'm just sort of, Slowly moving along towards, you know, the mark. That's not it at all. He's pressing towards it. And then he says, uh, he pressed towards the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I, 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 I got to thinking about that verse, and it just seemed like there was, there was more there. I pressed towards the mark. For the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But we haven't got time for that. All right. Let's get over here and finish up our message. I'm looking at the third point here, and that is that the Spirit, the Spirit activates our convictions. What is convictions anyway? Now, a person is convicted whenever the, uh, the Word of God is preached and the individual realizes he's lost and he's on his way to hell. Conviction sets in. That is that feeling of, of realizing that they're, 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 they've been wrong, they've sinned against God, and, and that there's judgment coming. That's conviction. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about convictions, which is a strong belief. We could say standards. That'd be one way to do it. But the Holy Spirit activates standards or convictions in our life. Convictions are, are strong beliefs. And these are beliefs that we should be willing to die for. You know, Christians through the ages, you know, real believers have gone to crosses. They've been burned at the stake. Why? Because of their convictions, because of their beliefs, because their beliefs were so strong, they could not and would not denounce Christianity. How can I denounce the one who has saved me and promised me heaven? And so they were willing to go to the cross, willing to die at the stake, willing to go through all manner of tortures in order to just to stay faithful to their convictions. It's the Holy Spirit that activates those convictions in an individual's life. The Holy Spirit, and it's through the study of the Word of God, you don't just get convictions bang like that. It's, it's when you, you learn from the Word of God and the preaching and, and everything, and, and finally there, there is set up in your heart and mind biblical standards in your life that you're willing to stand for. A lot of churches, there are no standards. In a lot of churches today, hey, I'm not... I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just making a flat statement. But there's churches today, and you probably know them yourself, that if you was to walk in them, it'd sound more like a, a rock band is playing on the platform rather than a Christian uh, ensemble. There's some churches you can go into where the Word of God is, is so confused 
that uh, nobody can get saved because it's just uh, they've taken the, the King James Bible out. They've taken the blood out of their hymnals. They've done all that. And now they have, there's, they've moved the ancient landmarks. There are no convictions. There are no standards. And you just go to that church and you, it's more of a social gathering rather than a place of worship. And we, you know, the tragedy is that, that this thing happens over a period of time just incrementally, just a little piece at a time, these things happen. I could name the church that I held meetings in year after year after year, and I called up for a meeting, and, and the, the pastor said, well, maybe, maybe you just ought to come for just a Sunday and see if... if uh, you want a meeting. Well, that should, you know, that lit all kinds of light bulbs in my mind. So I went. I was curious. I went. And uh, as I was getting my equipment ready, I've got this, mine's over there by the wall there. I've got to cover it up. But uh, there at theirs, they had a, a door that went uh, back into where the baptistry was. And so I opened the door and started to step in. And here's a big set of drums sitting there. I'm not talking about a little, I'm talking about a big set. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And then, of course, they had, they had a worship leader and, with the tambourines and the, their husband and wife, and uh, they had come from another uh, denomination to, to lead the, the music. And uh, I preached that day, and I said, Pastor, you're right. I could not feel comfortable preaching here. Now, what had happened? Now, here's a quitter. That's what I call a quitter. It's a person who has just, who has said, hey, I, you know, I've tried the old way, and, and the old ways are just not producing what I want, and that's exactly what happened. He had a small church. It was fundamental. Everything was straight. Because, I, like I say, I preached there for years. But all at once, all at once, he decided he wanted a bigger crowd, and he thought he could get a bigger crowd by compromising and bringing in all this other garbage, and, and now he's out of the ministry. And the church is boop, down the tubes. The Spirit of God activates standards in our life. And we need to learn to, to, to see what those standards are, scriptural standards. I'm not talking about things off the wall. I'm talking about biblical standards, things that you find in the Word of God that, that uh, uh, how, you, how you ought to live, how you ought to dress, how you ought to talk, how you, know, how you ought to treat people. I'm talking about just normal stuff, but just done in a Christian way. Done in a Christian way. If your emotions must be stimulated by uh, carnal... Uh, music to worship God, and you better find out which God you're worshiping. It's the God of this world or the God of heaven. If you, if you uh, grab up every new translation that comes along because you want a, a book easy to understand or some, uh, of the, uh, uh, or some other foolish notion, you need to understand that God is not the author of confusion. Satan uses these new translations that comes out to throw confusion and doubt in people's minds. You just need to get an old King James Bible that has stood the test for 400 years, and God has used that 
for countless revivals through the years. And you can't name me one revival that's ever been held, a true, honest-to-God, Holy Ghost revival that's ever come about with an NIV or one of those other, other things. Usually what the trend is, is that those, uh, uh, when those new Bibles come in, the blood's taken out of the, the music and, uh, you know, everything is, is watered down to where the gospel, you don't even know what the gospel is anymore. Well, I think that pretty well covers everything I was going to uh, talk about. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your soul. But they said, We will not walk therein. Isn't that tragic? It was in Proverbs 22.28 where it says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which I fathers have set. This church here has taken a stand. I know where this church stood when it started because I was here. And I know that it stands stronger today than it even did then. This church has taken stands that have not been popular through the years. Your pastor is not a member of the ministerial association because he has standards. See? He doesn't believe in yoking up with unbelievers. That's biblical. That's a biblical standard that he's taken. And it takes hits because then, then the, the, uh, the town and the county, you know, look at that and they say, well, he just, he's one of those renegades out there. He's an independent. And they, they don't fellowship with anybody. Well, that's not true. It's just that we have standards. We have standards. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a quitter. Do you? I don't want to quit. I want to be like the Apostle Paul and when he stood there and he said, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith, you know. And he was looking forward to the, you know, the crowns and, and seeing Jesus face to face. I wrote down some things. I don't want to be a quitter. I can't quit. I can't quit because my calling is not of this world. It's a holy calling. It's a heavenly calling. And I can't quit because of the comforter that's within me. He teaches and guides and he ensures and empowers. He's my friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I can't quit. I can't quit because of the, of the, of the crowd that's around me, lost and saved, family and loved ones. I can't quit. I can't quit because it, it costs too much to get me this far. Christ died for me. And the saints agonized over me. And we, as a family, went through the fire. I can't quit. And I can't quit because it would cost me personally too much communion with God. It would cost me his peace that fills my soul. And it would cost that clear conscience that I have in respect to my family and respect to my dearest friends. And I can't quit because of the crowns that's promised, that crown of life and crown of righteousness and the crown of glory and the incorruptible crown and the rejoicing, crown of rejoicing. I can't quit. I can't quit because of the commotion that's fixing that takes place. Revelation 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you, 
Have you been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? No question about it. You know if you was to die right now, you'd go to heaven. And you say, well, Brother Williams, I don't think anybody can know that until they're, you know, until to stand before God and He judges you. No, that's not what the Bible says. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches is when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you have everlasting life. For I, this is this is a verse nobody knows, but I'm going to quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that, don't they? But does everybody believe that? I, I, I'm afraid they don't. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. You got that? For which cause we faint not. Why? For the glory of God. We faint not. But through our outward man, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So by the grace of Almighty God, I won't quit. Because every day my inward man is renewed. Be not weary in well-doing. My unsaved friend, I want you to understand, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit does all these things in your life. So how can you be a quitter? How can you be a loser? You can't. What do you need to do? You need to come. Have an invitation here in a moment. The pastor will be standing here in front. You just walk down this aisle. Somebody's there beside you. Grab him by the hand and say, come and go with me. I'm, I'm scared to death. Go up there by myself. Do You go up to that pastor and say, preacher, I need to get saved. And he'll see that someone takes an open Bible and shows you from the Word of God how to be born into the family of God. You don't have to worry about death or hell again. It's a wonderful thing. The Christian life is something that uh, I, you know, I just I wish I could just make every one of you get saved. I wish I could do that, but I can't. The majority already have trusted Christ in here. They've already walked the aisle. They've already done what needed to be done. And now it's up to you. There's a few folks in here that perhaps you've just never been saved and you need to come and get it all settled today. You see, time is running out. Time is running out. If we can have these lights out, I'll show this chalk drawing.